Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a cranberry and vodka. What are you having, Jenny? I'm drinking a rum and coke. On today's episode, we're discussing the murder of Vincent Chin. Vincent Chin was born on May 18, 1955 in Guangdong Province, mainland China. In 1961, he was adopted from a Chinese orphanage by Bing Hing David Chin, also known as C.W. Hing, and Lily Chin. Vincent was their only child, and he grew up in Highland Park, Michigan. In 1971, Vincent's father was mugged, and the family moved to Oak Park, Michigan. After graduating high school, Vincent studied at the Control Data Institute and Lawrence Tech. He worked as a draftsman during the day in Oak Park and a waiter on weekends at a Chinese restaurant in Ferndale, Michigan. Vincent was well-liked by colleagues and enjoyed writing poetry and reading. His father passed away in 1981 and he and his fiancée, Victoria Wong, were looking for a house with a room for his mother, Lily. On June 19, 1982, Vincent Chin and his friends were out in Highland Park celebrating his bachelor party. While at the Fancy Pants Strip Club, Chin and his friends got into an altercation with 43-year-old Ronald Evans and his stepson, 22-year-old Michael Nitz, both white men. According to the newspaper, the Detroit Free Press, Chin tipped the dancer at his table and Eben shouted, quote, hey, you little motherfuckers, end quote, and said to the strippers, quote, don't pay any attention to those little fuckers. They wouldn't know a good dancer if they'd seen one, end quote. Chin took issue with this comment. Stories about what happened next vary, but Evans alleged that Chin came over to the men and punched him in the jaw without provocation. However, witnesses would later testify that Evans also got up and said, quote, it's because of you little motherfuckers that were out of work, end quote. There were also claims that Evans used racial slurs toward Chin. At the time of the incident, Evans was a foreman for the Chrysler Automotive Manufacturing Plant and Nitz had recently been laid off by an auto company but did have a job at a furniture store. During the 1980s, the American automotive industry was on the decline and there was an increase in the number of Japanese automotive imports to the U.S. As the Southern Poverty Law Center said, quote, rather than criticize the American automakers for their inability to compete successfully, people blamed the Japanese people, giving rise to widespread anti-Japanese feeling. End quote. So when Evans used racial slurs towards Chin, Vincent's friends at the bachelor party told Evans, quote, he's Chinese, not Japanese, end quote. In response to Chin punching Evans, Nitz pushed Chin. Both groups reportedly threw chairs at each other inside the bar before the fight spilled into the street. Chin then allegedly called Evans a quote-unquote chicken shit, and Nitz went to his car to retrieve a baseball bat, which caused Chin and his group to run. Nitz and Evans reportedly only chased after Chin and his Asian friends. Multiple witnesses admitted to seeing Nitz and Evans driving around the neighborhood for 30 minutes looking for Chin. It was also alleged that they paid $20 to a neighborhood passerby to help them quote-unquote get the Chinese. They would eventually find Chin and a friend outside of a McDonald's restaurant. Chen tried to run, but Nit grabbed him and held him down while Evans brutally beat Chen in the head with a baseball bat. Two plainclothes police officers witnessed the beating, and one would later say that Evans was swinging the bat like he was trying to quote-unquote get a home run. When police officers approached Evans and told him to quote-unquote drop the bat, he hesitated before complying. 
Chen, who was now unconscious and had a fractured skull, was taken to Henry Ford Medical Hospital. Before losing consciousness, Chen managed to whisper three words to one of his friends who was out with him that night. Quote unquote, it's not fair. He was in a coma for four days before being taken off of life support on June 23rd. Vincent Chen was just 27 years old. Evans was initially arrested for assault. And when Chen died, both he and Nitz were charged with second-degree murder. This prompted 30th District Court Judge Thomas Bells to say at their arraignment, quote, I am of the opinion that the defendants in this case were undercharged. The elements of first-degree murder are here, end quote. Bells said that there had been enough time between the initial bar fight and the bludgeoning outside the McDonald's for the two sides to cool off. Quote, there was the willful premeditation meditated killing of a human being, end quote. Evans and Nitz later pleaded guilty to manslaughter in a plea bargain agreement. Evans and Nitz were sentenced to only three years probation and a $3,000 fine, plus additional costs by Circuit Judge Wayne Kaufman. Lily Chen, Vincent's mother, responded to the sentence by saying, quote, what kind of law is this? What kind of justice? Something is wrong with this country, end quote. Judge Kaufman's rationale for this lenient sentence was that Chen had started the physical altercation and that Evans and Nitz had no prior convictions. Many in the Asian American community were appalled at Judge Kaufman's leniency. The group American Citizens for Justice, or ACJ, was formed in 1983 by Asian American lawyers and community leaders in response. They protested the light sentence to which Judge Kaufman said, Evans and Nitt, quote, weren't the kind of men you send to jail. We're talking here about a man who held down a responsible job for seven 17 or 18 years, and his son is employed and is a part-time student. You don't make the punishment fit the crime. You make the punishment fit the criminal, end quote. The prosecution did not seem to take the case seriously as they did not argue for a more severe sentence and did not even attend the sentencing hearing to dispute defense attorney claim. No family members have been notified that the sentencing was to take place. Ken Yi, president of the Great Chinese Welfare Council, argued the sentence amounted to a quote, license to kill for $3,000 provided you have a steady job or are a student and the victim is Chinese, end quote. Over the next few months, the ACJ and other groups around the country protested the sentencing and petitioned the U.S. Department of Justice to investigate Vincent Chin's murder as a civil rights violation. The ACJ's work, led by journalist Helen Zia and lawyer Lisa Chan, paved the way for the first federal civil rights trial for an Asian American. According to UCLA professor Renee Tajima Pena, quote, before that, Asian Americans were seen as not being a protected class. End quote. For these charges, it was not enough that Evans had murdered Chin, but that, quote, a substantial motivating factor for the defendant's actions was Mr. Chin's race, color, or national origin, and because Mr. Chin had been enjoying a place of entertainment which serves the public. End quote. The jury found Evans guilty of violating Chin's civil rights and sentenced him to 25 years in prison in 1984. The jury acquitted Nitz purportedly because he did not say anything racial. 
Evans appealed to the Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit and was ultimately cleared of all charges in the second trial in 1987 after accusations of alleged witness coaching. Neither Evans nor Nitz ever spent a single day in prison for Chin's murder. On March 23, 1987, a civil suit for the unlawful death of Vincent Chin was settled out of court. Michael Nitz was ordered to pay $50,000, which he complied with. Ronald Evans was ordered to pay $1.5 million at $200 a month for the first two years and 25% of his income, or $200 a month thereafter, whichever was greater. This represented the projected loss of income from Vincent Chin's engineering position, as well as Lily Chin's loss of Vincent's services as a laborer and driver. Evans did not pay, and his payment increased to $8 million as it went unpaid for so long and accrued interest. In 2015, he filed a motion to remove the lien on his Nevada home, stating the lien is prohibited by Nevada's Homestead Act and was placed, quote, with malice to annoy and harass him, end quote. In court documents, Evans claims he's been harmed by his inability to sell or refinance his home. The motion also asks for attorney's fees. Lily Chin moved back to her hometown of Guangzhou, China in 1987 as staying in Michigan was too painful for her. Before her death in 2002, she set up a scholarship fund administered by the ACJ in Vincent's name. Though Vincent Chin did not receive justice, his story brought positive change to crime victims' families and the Asian American community. His death raised the consciousness of people about hate crimes against Asian Americans and served as a catalyst for Asian Americans to look beyond their individual Asian ethnic communities to organize against anti-Asian violence. His tragedy inspired a generation of Asian American students to pursue legal careers so that never again would the Asian American community be defenseless against racist attacks. Because of Chin and other similar cases, families of victims are now allowed to deliver victim impact statements at hearings before the judge. Prosecutors in Michigan are now required to be at all hearings. Less than one year after Chin's murder, the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office barred future reductions of second-degree murder charges to manslaughter. This had the effect of eliminating probation as a sentencing option. The ACJ is still around today and works to combat xenophobia and hate. In 2011, the city of Ferndale, Michigan erected a legal milestone plaque at the location where Chin was beaten and murdered. The plaque memorializes Vincent and commemorates the Asian American Civil Rights Movement. Vincent Chin's story has become a milestone in the Asian American struggle for racial equality and political empowerment. Del, what are your thoughts on the murder of Vincent Chin and the aftermath? I think this is a disturbing case of someone not getting justice simply because of their racial. You had a situation where not only was there a time gap in between when the initial altercation happened at the strip club and then the McDonald's, but you also had a way of murder that was purposeful. This was a case where they grabbed a weapon, they went to a location, and they put a sustained beating on Chen that resulted in him being hospitalized in a coma and then life support being removed how is that not at least second degree murder how do you look at a case where someone had to repeatedly beat someone with the baseball bat and say it wasn't premeditated how 
in our society, how in the legal system can you ever give probation for someone murdering someone else? I'm really happy to hear about the wider impact that it had on the Asian American community and the fact that it caused them to stand up for their rights and to make sure that not only are people aware of the hate that Asian Americans receive, but that something is actually being done about it. What are your thoughts? It's a very disturbing case and frankly like an embarrassment to the justice system. If you're not upset by hearing about this, like you're not paying attention. Someone was murdered and people got away with it because what they had a job and they were good people. What kind of rationale is that? I'm just sick and tired of having people's reputation protected more than victims are protected or given justice. And Evans clearly has no remorse. I mean, I'm sure he's suffering with the thing on his house, but he killed someone. He should suffer in some way, if you ask me. I mean, if this is how he's going to have to suffer because he can't refinance his home, then that's fine with me. It's appalling. And then the fact that he was going to say it was placed on his house to annoy and harass him. Did you forget that you killed someone? The intent was very clear to harm him. I was not very familiar with this case until maybe two years ago. I didn't know going into this that because Vincent Chin, that families can give statements to the to judges. That's something that has affected countless people. So it's great to see and to see people inspired to make sure there isn't another Vincent Chin in the future. We're going to take a minute to talk about some more modern anti-Asian American and Pacific Islander hate and violence and a little bit of history of anti-Asian sentiment in the country. Asian Americans make up about 7% of the United States population, and Asian Americans are often overlooked. Their experiences and voices are not prominent in Western media and culture. Asian Americans are often viewed as outsiders. They have their cultures lumped together, and they experience harmful stereotypes like that of the quote-unquote model minority. Anti-Asian sentiment has existed in the U.S. for hundreds of years. In 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act became law in the U.S. It prohibited all immigration of Chinese laborers to the United States. This was the first significant law that excluded a particular group of people from immigrating to the United States. And during World War II, the U.S. forcibly rounded up and incarcerated 120,000 Japanese Americans in internment camps. And around two-thirds of those that were incarcerated were U.S. citizens. The recent coronavirus pandemic and rhetoric surrounding the virus has caused Asian Americans and Pacific Islander hate to increase. Data published by the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism revealed that anti-Asian hate crimes increased by 339% from 2020 to 2021. The significant surge in part of an overall 11% increase in suspected hate crimes reported to police across a dozen of America's largest cities. The organization Stop AAPI Hate received over 9,081 reports of hate incidents against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders across the United States between March 19, 2020 and June 30, 2021. Verbal harassment and shunning the deliberate avoidance of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders continue to make up the two largest proportion of total incidents reported. 
a majority of incidents take place in public spaces outside of the home. Women are reporting incidents of hate at a greater rate than men. Between March 2020 and December 2020, Stop AAPI Hate received 126 reports of incidents specifically involving elderly Asians and Asian Americans. Elders are particularly at risk because they often do not speak English. This causes a lot of stress and trauma, which can lead to mental health issues. Suicide is the leading cause of death for Asian Americans aged 15 to 24. Tell, do those numbers surprise you at all? Unfortunately, they don't surprise me. When COVID-19 was starting, I definitely saw the harmful rhetoric that was coming from certain news outlets, especially those that are right-wing. And a lot of that was aimed towards blaming China and anyone that the American public perceived as Chinese, which because of xenophobia, phobia and bigotry and stereotypes included all Asians. They blamed them for COVID-19. They blamed them for lockdowns. They blamed them if they had job loss and any of the other negative consequences of COVID-19. And when you look at the history of anti-Asian American sentiments in the United States, it's a repeated cycle of something happens that negatively affects the country and Americans look for groups of blame without any real knowledge of the actual factors that went into whatever happened. I think that the model minority myth definitely comes into play because Asians and Asian Americans are seen as people that are supposed to be the best of immigrants. And so whenever they quote unquote fail to live up to that, the heavy hand of American xenophobia seems to come down on them. One other thing I did want to mention is that, like you said, Asian Americans typically are not represented within popular culture. And when they are are, they're typically represented in a very small stereotype. They're the nerds. They're the wingman for the main character who is typically Caucasian. And anytime a Asian or Asian American steps out of that, they are shunned and they are seen as not being Asian enough. And that's something that we definitely need to rectify. The numbers do surprise me a little just because seeing it down is so shocking. A 339% increase from one year to another is crazy. And stop AAPI, those 9,000 reports that they received, that's just what was reported to them. That doesn't count stuff that happened and was not reported. So the number is likely higher than just those 9,000 reports. People shouldn't have to be living in fear going out into the street. Societies always look for some type of scapegoat, someone to blame. And unfortunately, Asian Americans have gotten that blame many times throughout history. It's devastating. And the Chinese Exclusion Act and the Japanese internment camps were really nothing I learned about in high school. The Chinese Exclusion Act, I honestly didn't hear about until maybe a year or so ago when the anti-Asian violence and hate was on the rise. We can't forget about the shooting that happened in Atlanta, Georgia last year at three different spas in the area and eight people 
people were killed, including six Asian women. Portrayals of Asian people in American culture are often very stereotypical, and it adds to the complexities of experiencing hate. We said that women are reporting hate and hate crimes and violence at a higher rate than men, and I think that definitely has something to do with how Asian women are portrayed in the media. And it is oftentimes a very sexualized portrayal, and it's interesting in a way because Asian men are often so desexualized in the media too. They're kind of like the butt of jokes. And I have heard that on dating apps, Asian men are one of like the least swiped on groups of people. That all really adds to like the othering, like we talked about Asian Americans always feeling like outsiders in the country. And yeah, that model minority myth, I know a lot of people think, oh, well, it's like a good stereotype. Why is that harmful? But it is, it boxes you in, it you know, takes away your identity. It just whittles you down to like your brain and your abilities. And then if you can't live up to those expectations, what are you supposed to do? That also causes a lot of anxiety and depression for people. Another reason the model minority myth exists is because people always say, oh, well, Asian American immigrants came to this country and they're so successful. They make so much more money than white people. They're not unemployed and they've done so much with the opportunities given to them. Maybe on a whole, their Asian people are making more money than white people. But then if you really dive in, different ethnic groups within the Asian American community are living in extreme poverty. So it's really not fair to lump everyone together and just think everyone is so successful and high achieving because not everyone is given these same opportunities. So what can we do to help the Asian American community? One important way that we can help de-escalate and respond to AAPI harassment and hate that we witness is through bystander intervention. Not taking action also affirms the idea that harassment is a quote-unquote normal or acceptable part of our culture. According to the organization The Right to Be, when we intervene, not only do we reduce the trauma of harassment for the person who has been harmed, but we also slowly chip away at the culture of harassment and replace it with one of humanity. Many bystander intervention trainings focus on the five Ds, and Del and I are going to go over them now. So the first is direct. This is simply a direct response to harassment by naming the inappropriate behavior and confronting the person doing harm. Direct intervention can be risky because the person harassing may redirect their abuse towards you or whoever the intervening bystander is, and it may escalate the situation. So always consider your safety and the situation before directly responding to a harasser. And direct response should be brief and to the point. So if you witness something and you want to directly respond, you could say, leave them alone, or that's inappropriate, that's racist, that's offensive. Next is delegate. Delegation is asking a third party to help with intervening in harassment. The keys to delegation are looking for a delegate who is ready and willing to help. This can be anyone from a security guard, a store manager, or someone standing right next to you. When you delegate someone to help you, try to tell them as clearly as possible what you're witnessing and how you'd like them to help. Next is distract. Distraction is a subtle and creative way to intervene. Its aim is to simply derail the incident of harassment by interrupting it. The keys to good distraction are to ignore the person who is harassing and engage directly with the person who is being harassed. This can look like asking the person who is being harassed for the time or for directions. 
don't talk about or refer to the harassment that's happening. Instead, talk about something completely unrelated. The fourth D is delay. Even if we can't act in the moment, we can still make a difference for someone who is being harassed by checking in on them after the fact. Many types of harassment happen in passing or very quickly, and it's not always possible we'll have the chance to intervene in another way. But we don't have to just ignore what happened and move on. We can help reduce that person's trauma by speaking to them after an instance of harassment. This looks like asking them if they're okay and letting them know you saw what happened and it wasn't okay. Ask them if there's any way that you can support them, offer to accompany them to their destination, or sit with them for a while. The last D is document. Documentation involves either recording or taking notes on an instance of harassment. It can be really helpful to record an incident of harassment, but there are some keys for safety and responsibly documenting harassment. Assess the situation. Is anyone helping the person being harassed? If not, use another of the five Ds. Recording someone's experience of harm without ensuring they're already receiving help can just create further trauma for them. If someone else is already helping out, assess your own safety. And if you are safe, begin documenting. Always ask the person who was harassed what they want to do with your recording and or note. Never post it online or use it without their permission. When using the five Ds, always prioritize safety and do what you are comfortable with. Free online trainings are offered through groups like Right to Be and Hollaback. If you've experienced hate or harassment, you can report this to Asian Americans Advancing Justice, and there is assistance with legal and social services that are available through the Stop Hatreds Group Stop Hate Hotline. That number is 1-844-9-NO-HATE, which is accessible in a number of language and is open to anyone. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the murder of Vincent Chin and the sentences of his case killers. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on the infamous 1950s quiz show scandal. As always, stay safe.